Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. In five, four, three, two. Hey, y'all, this your girl Sonia, and welcome back to She Say, She Say Sports. Today I have with me Arthur past president of the Bridge Breast Network and three-time cancer survivor, Mr. Sheila, Mr. Lord, hold on. Let me start over, Sheila. Hey, y'all, this is your girl, Sonia, and welcome back to She Say, She Say Sports. Today I have with me author, past president of the Bridge Breast Network and three-time cancer survivor, Mrs. Sheila Taylor-Clark. Hey, Sheila, how are you today? Hey, Sonia, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Good. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, of course. Because I know you're a busy, busy woman. <laughs> yep. It's it's only, you know, almost October 15th, which is the last deadline for tax returns, and I had clients <laughs> sending me stuff yesterday, so, yeah. Absolutely. You know how we procrastinators are. We mm-hmm. do. <laughs> no. And we have a longer extension, so I honestly don't understand, so... <laughs> But you know what? We're gonna blame it on COVID. That's yeah, maybe we'll blame. Yeah, that's that's fine. We blame everything on COVID. <laughs> okay, please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, um, I am uh, living in Dallas. However, I was born in Indiana, raised in Mississippi. Uh, went to Jackson State University. Got a degree in accounting, a bachelor's, and now working on my master's in accountancy with this. Um, a specialization in the tax area. I am a licensed CPA, been licensed uh, since 1995, started my own firm about three years ago, even though I just recently licensed it as a licensed CPA firm in Texas last year. Um, Every day, or I guess during the day, (laughs) by day, I work (laughs) as a tax consultant for a company. Uh, senior tax consultant for a company, and then, you know, I run my own business pretty much on the side and, and whatever little free time I can scrounge. Uh, as far as activities, uh, I am a member of the first black sorority. Oh, God. I mean, Alpha, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority <laughs> Incorporated, from which all others come. Oh, Lord. Mm. I am also <laughs> a member of... Uh, Jack and Jill of America, the North Texas chapter, and then I also serve on a variety of boards, uh, mostly in the area of health and wellness uh, with uh, Coleman, the national organization, Coleman Dallas, Coleman North and West Texas uh, in various roles. Uh, I was the recent walk chair for 2020 for the North and West Texas More Than Pink Walk. And then uh, I also started my own not-for-profit about four years ago called Socket to Cancer and I provide comfort items, or the organization provides comfort items such as socks, pillows, blankets, et cetera, for women that are in uh, currently undergoing treatment um, for breast cancer. I am married. I've been married uh, eight, uh, almost 18 and a half years. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have a daughter. She is 11. Her name is Mackenzie, and she's an athletic stu- superstar. <laughs> you know, she plays lots of sports. Uh, I guess majoring in basketball, if we can say that, but yeah. play soccer, softball, uh, hockey, wants to learn how to golf. So she is all into the sports thing, but she's also very good in school. She uh, gets all A's or all A's and 1B consistently, so she's been doing uh, well at that. And then I also have two bonus sons. Uh, they're twins. They are in school at Florida State University in Tallahassee, uh, Jamal and Jameer. I think that's it. I feel like <laughs> I said a mouthful. Yeah, you definitely have a resume. And um, and for the listeners out there, I mean, I'm a Delta, and Sheila and I, that's just our little thing. We 
the, you know, we have our little verbal banter with the sister Greeks, but we are very close and we love Oh, very close, yeah. And we can uh, banter back and forth, but don't y'all try to step in and banter because we, we'll look at you crazy. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So, Sheila, as you know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, mm-hmm. and you are the perfect person to discuss this with today. You've been through quite a bit with this disease, yet you are still kicking its butt every step of the way. According to the American Cancer Society, when breast cancer is detected early and is in a localized stage, the five-year relative survival rate is 99%. Early detection includes doing monthly breast self-exams, scheduling regular clinical breast exams, and mammograms. Sheila, please share with our listeners your journey with breast cancer and how you have managed not to not only fight this disease three times and when, but live a full, happy, and productive life? Well, I think part of it, um, a lot of it has to do with, obviously, <laughs> blessings. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not my time yet. So that's probably the first thing, I, you know, that comes to mind. And then I would say, you know, probably, probably having more of a positive attitude instead of saying, you know, why me when you get the diagnosis? Why not me? And what can I do to uh, get better, fight the disease? And not just that but to win and show other women that they can win as well as far as giving back and advocating for uh, breast cancer awareness and breast uh, health. Uh, As you mentioned, I am a three-time survivor of breast cancer. I was diagnosed the first time in 2005, and it was just one year after my 46-year-old mother-in-law had passed of uh, the disease. So all I knew was death, really, and I was, you know, I was just thinking once they called and said, you have cancer. They probably said, unfortunately, and you know, nothing good ever comes after, unfortunately. And then they said, you have breast cancer. And then I didn't hear a lot because, you know, you hear bits and pieces because you just got this devastating news. You know, how are you feeling? What are you going to do? What are going to be steps you take? How is this going to change your life kind of thing? And, you know, I was living a life of 34, so I was relatively young, but because I only had the experience of seeing my mother-in-law battled for two years and ultimately succumbed to the disease, I just thought it was my time. And, you know, I don't know why I thought like this, but I was thinking, okay, I'm 34. I've lived a full life. You know, I'm an Army veteran, so I've done some things and done some travel with that. You know, I've graduated college. I have a degree of success in my career. You know, I've been married at that time. I want to say I had been married about three or four years, I believe. And so I was feeling good about my life, and I said, you know, if I if I pass away today, I had a full life, which is kind of crazy to think you'd be thinking that at 34. But at any rate, that's sort of how I felt. But, you know, even in that, I found the humor in situations. I think, you know, too, finding the humor can help with your attitude as well. Because I was thinking, well, if I pass away, you know, my husband, he's a good-looking guy. He'll probably go get another wife. Hopefully she's fat. She can't wear my shoes. She can't cook. So I was thinking all this stuff, and it was, like, making me laugh to even think about that and thinking, you know, if he doesn't put me away properly, you know, I want one of those sort of Aretha Franklin-like funerals. I want to be laying up my legs crossed with some nice pink shoes or whatever. And I was like, if he doesn't do all this stuff, I'm going to come back and haunt him. But uh, I had a dream that same night, and his uh, mom, Miss Linda, and I called her Miss Linda because Miss Linda was only 13 years old. She didn't mean she had a date when she was 14. And uh, we laugh about that. She never called me mom. And I'm like, you're not old enough to be my mom. And so we would laugh about that. But I remember her, in her battle, just the strength that she had, you know, to be that age and somebody come to you and say, hey, you know, you're only um, 46. You have all this life left to live. She had just recently gotten married. And you have 90 days to live. And anybody else I felt like, I felt like her attitude was just so wonderful, even though you had been given this devastating news. And she was so courageous. You know, she picked out, she had a wedding ceremony because she had gotten married without the ceremony. And the day of her ceremony, she was picking out her casket and what she wanted to be buried in. She wrote her program, and I was just thinking the strength that it took. And so I wanted to fight for her. And she right. came to me in the in the dream, you know, and I tried to go with her when it was time for her to leave, and she wouldn't let me go, which when I woke up uh, with tears in my eyes, I knew that that meant that it wasn't my time. So through that battle, I had um, a lumpectomy, two of them, because they uh, didn't get clear margins, and then I had um, 
six weeks of daily radiation. It might have been eight weeks. It's starting to get kind of fuzzy. And then I was doing fine. And then I had a baby girl, which, you know, doctors said that would never happen. And at 39, I had my child once I was done taking the medicine you take every day so the cancer doesn't return and uh, had her. And then in uh, 2013, uh, she was about four, I believe. I was uh, diagnosed, she might have been three actually, maybe four. I was diagnosed again with breast cancer. And this time I just had a feeling, you know, you, I feel like the cancer's back. And I, it was no other reason. It's not like I felt a lump or anything. I, didn't, I thought I felt a lump the first time, but clearly I didn't have one. So it was just, I guess the Lord protected me and letting me know, you know, go get yourself checked out. And I would say that to your listeners. You be in tune with your body, and if something feels off, don't let anybody make you feel crazy about it. Go get it checked out and advocate for yourself when you get to the doctor's office. Don't let them tell you, oh, it's probably nothing. If it feels like something, keep fighting it or keep talking to them until somebody does something about it. So I went in and uh, had the mammogram and the biopsy, and they said, yep. It is back. So this time I had a whole different outlook. I was, uh, I guess, 43. I had a different outlook in life because I had had a baby, and I wanted to watch her grow up because of the way that I had grown up. And so I was like, I I don't care what y'all got to give me. If it's chemo, you know, if I got to eat rocks, whatever I need to do, go into your arsenal and trunk of, you know, things, treatments and give me everything because I need to fight like hell to be here for my child. And she was really the reason for my fight the second time. I was like, I have got to get through this. So this time, because I didn't want the chance for it to come back, I had a double mastectomy where they removed both of your breasts, and then I had to have chemo, which I didn't want to have. Because, you know, it caves are vain. We like our hair and, you know, nails, eyebrows, all of that, and I knew that it was going to leave. And so, or be gone. Mm -hmm. Not to cut you off, and I'm sorry. No, No, you're fine. Please tell the listeners, when you went to the doctor and you told them you wanted um, your breast removed, your doctor was angry. But what happened when they, after they took your breast off, breast, um, tell them what happened. Yeah, and just as a correction, the the first time I had a male surgeon, and it probably makes all the difference because I didn't even get a choice in what was going to happen. I was told, you're going to have a lumpectomy, you know, you're young, we're going to do this lumpectomy, et cetera. And if I had known what I knew now about breast cancer, the fact that they had to repeat that process would have let me know breast cancer is not just in this area, it's in other places around it, you probably should have them removed. But, again, I didn't know any better and nobody told me any better. So the second time I actually had a female surgeon. And so when I talked to her, I could tell just when I met with her, she wanted me to arrive at the place of a double mastectomy, but she wasn't going to push me there because she was like, well, it's, you know, small again, and, you know, we caught it early. I can remove it all, and, you know, you've already had radiation, and I don't know about, you know, how your skin will do. And she kept sort of leading me in that direction, but she didn't really have to lead me leave me there because I was already there because, again, I'm trying to be here for my baby. Take these. Right. And so I told her, I said, uh, no, I want, it, I want it removed. And she was like, oh, good, almost like she, you know, had a sigh of relief that I was okay with that. And I said, yeah, and I said, I, it would be great if you could take both of them off and then I could get, you know, two new ones that are perky. <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, we can definitely do that. Insurance will pay for it in that way your reconstruction will be better instead of them trying to match the remaining breasts that can just, you know, give you these expanders, et cetera. So fast forward, I wasn't supposed to have chemo initially because they caught it early and it was small. So she was just going to remove the breast. That was going to be it. But, however, when I was in the hospital uh, and the breast was removed and they had, uh, they looked at it further and, and analyzed it further, they realized that instead of the cancer being maybe like one centimeter, it was close to 13, but it was wow. in a, a liquid form. So it wasn't like it had formed the lump, et cetera, but it was all throughout my breast. And she was, I was just standing there thanking God that he led me into that direction, even though they were saying, oh, it's small and, you know, we can cut it out, et cetera. So, uh, so again, it's all about advocating for yourself, advocating for your health, and if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. So, And we have to get over our fear, too, 
as uh, black women and minority women, women of color, because, you know, we have a, some of us have a distrust of <laughs> medical doctors and right. clinical trials and all that. But we really have to get over that because this is a one disease. Some things you can say, okay, I'm not going to worry about that right now. Maybe if you have a cramp in your leg or whatever, you know, I'll give it some time and kind of see, oh, it's feeling better. I'm just going to keep working or whatever I'm doing. But with breast cancer, that's the thing that you don't want to do. You want to as soon as you, because as you mentioned, when you started, your uh, prognosis or recovery is so much better for you to not pass away from it. If you get it, if they catch it in time and can treat it in time, you have a 99% chance, as you mentioned, of survival. Wow. That's amazing. So, yeah, so that's my second story. And then I'm in the middle of my third story where, you know, I'm thinking, oh, and before I say that, just a quick note, reconstruction was hard on me because my expander burst, then I had to have a, I had an open wound, and then I had to have a home healthcare nurse wear a machine and close it up. I finally, I think I went two years without breasts, and I got so tired of looking at the scars on my chest. And so, and I couldn't wear a bikini top because, again, you know, I'm AK, I'm bang. So, <laughs> so then uh, after that, I decided to have this more in-depth procedure. But it was crazy because I was like, I got scars on all parts of my body except for my back, and I could wear backless, and this was where they were going to have to take muscle from to form breasts, but I decided to go ahead and do it. It was the absolute best thing, you know, decision I had made, even though I had been through so much with reconstruction. And I was so happy, probably the first three or four months, I worked my breasts into every conversation. Oh, she was cold outside. Yeah, my breasts are cold too. Oh, the sky is blue. You know, my breasts might look good in blue. So I was always trying to work them in, and I was wanting to show people, you want to see them? Like strangers and stuff. So anyway. Once I got over that, uh, I was doing well, you know, and living life, and I felt like I was pretty much going to remain breast cancer-free because I had my breast removed. And lo and behold, in December of last year, it might have even been November, actually, right after the holidays, I felt, maybe it was right before Thanksgiving, I felt under my arm in the bathtub, and I was like, oh, I feel this not, you know, like a little pimple almost, like a bump. But it wasn't on the other side because I thought it was due to construct- reconstruction. And so it it grew bigger, and I was like, you know what, let me go get this checked out. And, again, I ran into the, it's probably nothing. Oh, I feel it. It feels superficial. It's nothing. And I said, yeah, but given my history, yeah, you're right. Given your history, we'll send you the edit check. And so it was biopsied, and I got the call again from my, you know, the same surgeon. It's breast cancer. The good news is it's growing fast because, again, it had grown to, like, almost golf ball size in a matter of a few weeks. And she said it's growing fast but it's contained, and I can cut it all out. And so that's what we did. I was like, I don't want to have to do chemo anymore. But, of course, I had to do chemo because of the growth rate on it and the fact that I this was now my third time, and they're trying to, you know, cure me finally. So it's interesting that I had my breast removed, but the breast cancer returned right. under my that's arm. I don't understand. Yeah, it returned under my arm. So there's breast tissue, you know, they can't take all the breast tissue out. They don't get it all out. So it's some under your arm, of course, uh, where your lymph nodes are. So that's where uh, they found it. Luckily, it had not spread again and was caught early. And I just wrapped up chemo probably about six weeks ago, and I'm getting ready to start uh, a radiation, which will be every day for about six weeks, I believe. So, so. you will be done with that? Before uh, before the Christmas. holidays, before Christmas, yeah. I'm excited. It'd be a great Christmas great present. I yes, yes. We missed, you know, we couldn't really celebrate our birthdays. Correct. And she's born two weeks before me. Um, you're, she likes to point that out that she's younger than me. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm July 20th, and um, so, but um, I did surprise her and come to Dallas to spend some time with her. Oh, it was a not wonderful surprise. I was almost in tears. It was know, so yeah, wonderful. I did not expect I it. <laughs> I did not expect it. So Yeah, so, but we did a lot of sneaking around to get that done. But <laughs> so thankful. Oh, and the know. thing that you put together, the video, oh, my gosh, that, it was so amazing. I, I watched it several times and just cried, cried, cried. Because it was, yeah, that, that was heartfelt 
from from all your friends and yeah, it was wonderful message. Everybody, you know, they were able to participate and yeah, um, it, it was fun. It was it was a lot getting them together. So <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, but um, so I'm glad that's going to be over before Christmas, and you know, hopefully next year because you love to travel and. You know, yeah, COVID has been rough, you know, to go through a life-threatening illness any time is rough, but to go through it and, you know, during a pandemic yeah. <laughs> has been uh, pretty rough. You know, I've, I've felt some days where I've been depressed or I was fatigued and I was upset because, you know, I couldn't do anything or go anywhere and I wasn't supposed to be anyway. I probably should have been happy that nobody else was able to go anywhere either, <laughs> so, <Right>. but... <laughs> I was, you know, I, I am definitely looking forward to the end of this, if there is an end or, you know, some treatments in place, et cetera, some protocols where we're able to, you know, get together again because I, I miss y'all. I miss you too. We miss you too. And I was just thinking, I was like, I miss my friends so much and, you know, homecoming and, yeah, uh, you know, so it's just hopefully, you know, things will get back to normal soon and people will, it doesn't look like people. I'm, I don't know what they're doing, but it's just like <laughs> I know I'm. I gotta stay safe. You yeah, gotta stay safe. Yeah, and that's what I'm. Uh, you know, that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do. You know, I did. I've had some. You know, I can't say scares, but I've had some. I'm just trying to stay away from people, really. And I, you know, if I'm around you, I'm trying to keep that proper distance. And I remember exactly. a coach tried to hug me. Then I handed somebody something, and they were just so happy to see me. They grabbed my hand, my arm, and slid their hands all the way down. Like, I just need to touch you. And I'm like, uh, mm. Yeah, and so I, I used see. hand sanitizer right in front of them and wiped everything down. Like, I was taking exactly. a bath in it. And so I was like, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but, you know, this is pretty serious. And if you're in chemo, your immune system is, uh, you know, compromised. Right. Yeah, it's compromised. So, you don't want to catch anything, but especially this COVID, where if you have an underlying health condition, it's you know you have you fare much worse. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I'm not Trump. I don't have Trump's money. Helicopters that pick me up on my front lawn and take me where 18 doctors can see after me. So I, I got to keep myself safe. Absolutely, me too. <laughs> so, well. Sheila, I'm sure you heard about Ananda Lewis, the former VJ from MTV, announced a few weeks ago she is yes. fighting breast cancer and is in stage three. Yes. However, it was not early detected because Ananda did not believe in mammograms due to the small amount of radiation patients received while getting one. She now feels that she got mammograms. She could have caught it earlier and been able to fight it a little better because now it's in her lip nodes. Yes. Could you explain what lip nodes are for people who don't know what they are and what happens when cancer has spread to them? Yeah, so cancer, you know, breast cancer usually starts in a localized area in your breast, obviously, why it's called breast cancer. But if allowed to grow, those cells can break off and go to other parts of the body, and they travel to those other parts of the body. When you hear people say breast cancer has spread to the lung or to the brain or to the bone, it makes it to those other areas through the lymphatic system, which is made up of your lymph nodes. And, of course, you have several under your arm, so just the connection, you know, with them being so close together, uh, that's usually the path that it takes under your arm through those lymph nodes and then to those other areas. And what you mentioned about early detection, that is uh, key because that's how they find out how to stage you, whether or not uh, cancer cells have infected your lymph nodes. And so I've had some removed. I've had them tested. And like I said, all three times I've been blessed to uh, be early stage. But, you know, staging is based on that, the, the extent to which it spreads. Now, if it spreads to other organs such as your lungs, your uh, brain, and your bones, that's considered stage four. And stage three is in your lymph nodes but may not have uh, deposited in, into your organs. So, okay. and you would have more, you'd have more strenuous treatment, I guess, uh, a, a more complicated treatment plan the farther you are in staging. Okay. And I think so, with her, she grew up, if I remember, recall, I want to say didn't her mom have something and mm-hmm. she was getting all those, the radiation, and she thought that that was the reason that she got 
the cancer. So I think she was, again, that, you know, I would say irrational, but if you feel that way, it's probably rational to you. Fear that we have, you know, of uh, medical procedures and not trusting, and it goes back to our history. You know, I, I te- definitely understand being a being a black woman. You know, even when you look back at the Tuskegee experiment, you know, they were telling them that they were treating syphilis, and they but they were giving it to them, you know, as part of the trial. So I think all of that makes us nervous about participating in trials, taking medicine going to a doctor because, you know, inherently we don't trust them. But I will say that clinical trials are are very helpful. And the reason that a lot of things affect us worse or there's not, or the medicine doesn't seem to be working on us as it does on our white counterparts is because not a lot of black people will sign up for those clinical trials to see if there's something in our genetic makeup where the the medicine needs to be a different kind or, you know, in order for it to be effective. It has to be tested on people that look like us and have the same sort of genetic makeup. Gotcha. Okay, that that makes sense. Yeah. And I was I was going to ask you, you know, regarding the radiation. So, how much radiation can a patient patient receive during a mammogram compared to one what one will receive being treated for breast cancer? Oh, it's very. You know, it's it's very limited. You know, it's just like taking an X-ray. Clearly, you know, because of x-rays, you know, anything like that where you have a lot of it all the time is going to be harmful to you. But the rays that are emitted during a mammogram are, you know, far less than you would have to do if you were doing like me and you have to take radiation that's concentrated on a certain area of your body over time. So I just say, you know, the mammogram, pretty easy. You know, it's a lot safer now. They do cover other areas uh, if they have to do more intensive scanning, but mostly it's just a scan of your breast, so not really anything that's going to hurt you per se. But I can see, again, you know, years ago sometimes we we don't have the information that we're privy to now, and technology Mm -hmm. is definitely different. Absolutely. And, you know, she's been fighting for two years silently, and her announcement to the world was when a lot of, I mean, her announcement to the world was when a lot of family and friends found out. So, you know, you found out about your third fight with breast cancer in January of this year, and me, Uh including many of your friends and family, found out via Facebook. And, you you know, you and I talked about this. I was heartbroken because I was like, why didn't she tell me? But you explained to me why you did it that way. Could you please share the reason why you decided to tell most of your loved ones via social media? I think what I was trying to do is put the information out there but sort of cut down on the separate conversations that I would have to have because if I had, you know, I could have called 100 people, but that's 100 different times I have to recount, you know, this devastating news. And and like you said, it's stressful on you to have to go through that because even most people, if you have friends fighting uh, cancer, that's any type really, I would implore you to, you know, if you have conversations with them, everything, they don't want everything to be about their cancer. They want to talk mm-hmm. about other things and they want to talk about fun things. So I think that that is the, the, I think I chose it mostly because I didn't want to have to be reminded of it in so many subsequent conversations. I could tell everybody sort of at the same time and I could share, you know, that it was caught early and sort of, you know, put people's fears to rest, et cetera. But I I will acknowledge that I'm sure it was devastating for everybody, really, to learn on Facebook other than, you know, Nate and McKenzie. Right. Oh, yeah. I was was like, oh, my God. And and I'm a public person, too, so I think there's a a part of that. You know, I I share, I probably overshare TMI, but I, you know, the reason I think my first battle, I didn't speak about it a lot publicly, probably because I was still in mourning for Ms. Linda. But I think I realized in this, you know, in this pain, I have a purpose. And that is to share my story, to give other people hope. And as I started to share the second time, I was getting private messages. People were calling or texting and saying, hey, you know, I've been going through this, but watching you go through, you know, what you're going through, this is nothing, or it's giving me you know, the drive or the courage to, you know, fight, and I'm going to fight just like you're fighting, et cetera. Because I have uh, somebody that grew up next to me 
that was a baby. I'm talking about jumping over high grass because I love babies and I was a teen already. And she mm-hmm. sent me a message and she said, I uh, just had surgery for breast cancer and I just finished my treatment. And I just want you to say that, you know, even though I didn't share mine on, on uh, you know, publicly social media, she said, but I followed you and I was just so inspired by you. I know that I, I knew that I could fight and beat this disease too. So that means a lot when you get messages like that. And it makes me understand, you know, I'm, I, Obviously, I was put here for this purpose since I've had it three times and I'm still here. So I want to, you know, I want to share what I'm going through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so people don't feel, you know, so afraid. I also want to be able to advocate for women, uh, you know, for their breast health, and I also want to be able to promote breast cancer awareness when I can. That's awesome. And, I mean, and you have helped a lot of people, trust me, and it's a blessing that you're able, you know, I, I said three is a charm when, you know, I found out and I got over crying because it, it scared me because I'm like, Lord, you know, they cut a breast off this time. Why? Why is it bad? And I think a lot of people had questions about that, but you have to understand that, you know, uh, even though they cut my breast off and, you know, they did all these tests, I had chemo, et cetera, you could have one cell, you know, microscopic mm-hmm. cell that they missed that could, you know, potentially implant somewhere else and grow. So, you know, it's always a chance of cancer coming back, and that's any type of cancer that people uh, deal with, so. Gotcha. And and when you explained it to me early on, you know, it kind of, I was like, okay, I get it now, but I'm just like, Lord, I'm just saying, you know, third time is a charm, and... You know, I don't know why you're allowing this, but you're doing it for a reason. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're definitely an advocate, so I'm thankful for that. So you've already pretty much explained um, where you are in your fight with your di- um, your third diagnosis, mm-hmm. you know, about you starting radiation. Yes. How, how much does diet and stress play in the healing process? I think diet plays a big role uh, because I tend to, you know, to feel sicker when I didn't have proper protein. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, uh, protein helps, you know, uh, antioxidants. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, probably, yeah, you know, fruit is always good. And there are some, you know, fruits and vegetables that have special properties. So I would definitely, you know, look those up or talk to your doctor about that. But diet is important. Even though as you're going through chemo, they don't stress it, in my opinion, enough because I guess they feel like you're going through what you're going through. If all you want to eat is a cheeseburger, then have that cheeseburger. Right. <laughs> but, like, you know, you definitely need to pay attention to what you eat. And I'm sure sugar, you know, plays a role. If You know, just like sugar would feed anything, really, it probably feeds cancer. And I haven't done the best job in that. You know, I'll be off sugar and then I'll go back. But I'm not as bad as I used to be, so I'm going to celebrate the small wins and, you know, right. keep keep working at it like anything. Absolutely. And does, do you think stress, how does stress play in the I feel like stress does because I feel I feel mostly stressed out most days. And it's probably because I have a problem with saying no. So mm-hmm. some things I know I shouldn't be doing or like, you know, like for instance now, you know, it's October, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I have all these requirements with these organizations I work with, like three arms of Coleman, right, three of them. So it's not like I could just work with one and be done. And then right. I work with, as you mentioned, the Bridge Breast Network. I have my own nonprofit. And then I get lots of requests to speak or to come visit this or to, you know, and then we just got an opportunity to partner with Ford that someone called me about that will help uh, the bridge. And the bridge helps women that don't have insurance get free medical care for uh, a breast cancer diagnosis, which is a blessing. So I'm always trying to help them uh, make money with that. But there's a lot of requirements on me. And then, as you know, I have a regular job. (laughs) I have a (laughs) practice you know, where if I don't work, I don't get paid. So, you know, it's like out hunting, you got to kill everything that you eat. So I got to bring in clients and kind of keep that going. At the same time, I'm working a full-time job. Mackenzie has been in virtual school, so I've had to 
help with virtual schooling because her teacher probably meets with her 15 minutes in the morning, 15 in the afternoon. So most of her <laughs> classwork falls on me. So that's stressful. And then I've been, like I said, I've been going through this cancer battle. That's been stressful. And then not just that, I decided this year like an idiot, oh, I'm going to finish my master's. So uh, I think, I don't know why I allow myself to have all this stress on me, but, you know, sometimes I do feel it. And sometimes I feel like I, I should say, no, you know, I don't want to, uh, I can't do that. And it's just been hard for me to do that. I even helped. Uh, found a whole new organization, the National Society of Black CPAs, during this pandemic. So I'm, you know, it's like, okay, this is this is crazy. So. You know, you know, if I'm thinking as you're talking, and we've discussed this before, you know, you guys have to hear Sheila's full story and just give a little summary today. But when you mention all the stuff that you're doing, you know, they say the first seven years of your life is the foundation and your foundation, rather, and tell the story. You were adopted, and your mother was a socialite, and she was busy just like that. Yes, so my adoptive mother was definitely, she was, you know, uh, really like a pillar in her community. And and the more I think back, because I was so young when she passed away, the more I think back to her life and what she likely endured, because she grew up in the Delta, you know, in Mississippi, at a time where, you know, segregation was still there or the Jim Crow laws, all of that stuff was kind of still around and the remnants of that, especially in the Delta where it's almost still there now. So to think that she went through that and they said she was always so outspoken that they almost drove her out of Mississippi so she would be safe. And I want to say someone tried to attack her, is my understanding, uh, assault her, and she fought back. And it wasn't pretty. So I think they, what I heard was they kind of drove her out of Mississippi, and she landed in Indiana, you know, South Bend, Indiana. And she started her life there. And she didn't have, you know, a high school education, hadn't graduated from high school, hadn't graduated, you know, hadn't, you know, let alone college, but hadn't even graduated from high school. And I just remember even from a writing standpoint, she sort of taught herself, you know, how to read and write. I remember her, you know, writing her signature, et cetera, but again, sort of like this self-driven, self-made woman. And she came to um, South Bend. She started, I guess, cleaning houses, graduated to cleaning offices, and then she started her own business of cleaning offices. And then she also became an antique dealer. She was also a community leader. She founded an organization called the Black Society for Women, Black Women, in uh, the community, business owners, et cetera, to help them through entrepreneurship, to do uh, civic, you know, to handle our civic responsibilities with raising money, et cetera. And we had a community center. And I remember she would throw fundraisers and parties. And, you know, I remember her in her fur coat. She was really doing well. And I remember that white men, what I remember the most is they respected her. Like she could drive on a car lot and pick up a car. She could go, she would have these meetings that I would be sort of, you know, around and, you know, the only black person in the room. So she had that presence. And it was, it's really amazing when you think where she came from and how she aspired. You know, we lived in a great neighborhood. I was having this great upper middle class lifestyle. My, you know, my neighbors were different races and, you know, we lived in a good part of town. I had pretty much everything I wanted except for a bunch of toys, because if she went to the store, I'd be like, bring me a toy, and she'd know I'm going to bring you a book. And she saw the value of education, even though she hadn't gone past likely junior high or maybe ninth wow. grade, but she knew the value because I remember at an early age, before I knew most things, she said, you're going to go to college. You're going to go to uh, Indiana University, and she she spoke that over my life early. So I knew, you know, there was no option for me not to go to college because that's what she instilled in me, that education was going to be my way out or my way to succeed in life. And I appreciated that, especially, like I said, given our history. And then, too, you have to look at my my uh, adoptive mom, I guess, had been married, but was, you know, separated, whatever happens when the man leaves and, you know, you're just kind of on your own. 
and she was able to adopt as a single woman in 1970 a baby on her own. So, That's amazing. And, and petitioned the court several times. You know, I was in her custody, but she had to petition them at least three times before they said, okay, okay, we're going to make this a formal adoption. So I'm just, I'm grateful to her, which is another reason, you know, I've never changed my name because that is my connection to her since she died when I was almost seven. So, and I remember this stuff vividly. It's crazy. That's amazing. And I, you know, just hearing the story through the years, I know that's part of the reason why you're that way. Because yeah, because she was driven. And I think the other piece is, too, once I figured out, when somebody told me I was adopted, probably around 12 or so, if I remember correctly, I remember thinking the life I was living was so horrible once my uh, adopted mom passed and I had to move in with a legal guardian who was her sister. My life was so awful. You know, I had to relocate to Tunica, Mississippi, the you know, middle of the Delta, poor place, no no industry, segregated still largely economically and educationally. So I had to move here, move there. And I remember going from sort of the dream house and the dream life to a two-room shack on someone's plantation with well water and an outhouse. I mean, what a, I, I didn't, under, you know, I, I think I held, I think I didn't go to the bathroom for a good week when I first got there because I was like, I got to go in this outhouse and Where's the running water? There's only two rooms, the front room and the back room, and we're living out here in the shack, and it was, it was, it was crazy to go from that. And all I could think about was I got it. First, I was mad at my mom, so I talked to her every day, and I was like, I'm so mad at you for leaving me. I don't know why I was thinking like that. And that's how I would talk to her. I can't believe you left me in these conditions. And so, and she shouldn't have because she left me with a hundred thousand dollars trust fund. But at any rate, obviously, I didn't get to spend it. But uh, but I think back to that, and I always knew even where I am, I, this is not my home, and I'm getting out. So uh, I had that sort of working for me, and I was always laser focused. When I was probably a good seven or eight years old after she passed, in my mind, I felt 30. I felt like I was a grown-up, and that's how I lived my life. I was always the most you know, mature person because I was laser focused. At 12, I knew I wanted to be a CPA. Might might have been earlier, probably nine now that I think about it. I knew I was going to be a CPA. I was going to work for PricewaterhouseCoopers. I was going to, you know, buy me my own house because I didn't want anybody to put me out of it, to die and leave me, to, you know, give me a way out of it. And I was going to have this house at a young age. I was going to go to college get good grades, get this good job, and I wasn't going to be sidelined by, you know, parties and boys. Looking back, I should have been sidelined a little bit by the boys, but I should have <laughs> found me a husband in college, but I was so focused. And if you talk to anybody that tried to date me during that time, they were like, she's on a whole nother level, and that's kind of where I was. I don't have time to play because I don't have a safety net. I don't have anybody to call to send me $10 for this or to pay this. So I got to go get a job. I got to have my own car. Everything sort of fell on me. And I knew that early on when my mom left, it was all about me taking care of myself. And I I do believe the reason I try to do so many things and I try to do them well is because in the back of my mind when I found out when I was 12, I kept waiting for my biological mom to come rescue me. I felt like she didn't know where I was. And when she found out, she would come and rescue me. She didn't. She contacted me after I went to college. So I was already 18 and grown up, et cetera. But I always, I really wanted her to say to me, and I can be honest with this, even though I haven't said it publicly, I wanted her to say to me, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I should have kept you. And I think that's why, I, oh, I got to be the best. I got to do this. I got to do that because I'm going to do all these things to show her she should have kept me. Wow. So. Mm -hmm. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, it's okay. You know, you know how I feel about that whole. Thing. Right, right. Um, it's just through through all of that. It's you know, I'm like, God kept His eye on you. 
He did, and I will say that I would have I would have not made it. I I'm not supposed to be here several times with stuff that I grew up with, and you know things that I've gone through. And I have just been grateful uh, to God. I'm so grateful for my daughter, even though he said I wasn't going to have her. She's been a miracle to me, and I know she's super spoiled, and you know get Rotten. you know looks like she gets everything she wants and all that. But I think a lot of that too is because of my background. I'm yeah. I'm being the the mom to her that I wish I could have had. Absolutely, and and you know that's why I mean I get it. I mean I totally get it. And but she's a she's a great kid. She is. Uh, she's a good she's kid. A really, a little lazy, which is shocking to me. The laziness, because I'm like, girl, if you know anything <laughs> about your mom? I've been a grinder since you know I probably got my first job around 10 or 11. I wasn't supposed to be working, but I was hanging around this store. I was like, if you just let me clean up and pay me in school clothes, who does that at my age? Wow. And so I have always been driven. To, so to see her, I'm like, I don't know if I'm helping the situation or making it worse because I got to have her where she's able, you know, if something does happen, I'm not going to always be here that she's able to stand on her own two feet and take care of herself. Trust me, she's watching she, she knows she's watching. You well, know. she is definitely watching the business. Of so she's like, so I see you get money from people. Uh, can I work in your business and you pay me twenty dollars? Can I start a business and I want to do this, this, this? So I see that spirit and drive in her. But you know, like I said, and she's young still, so she yeah. she has some time. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Sheila, you are truly one of the strongest people I know and a true inspiration, not only in my life, but many others. All that you have gone through, you're welcome. Since birth, you have endured with strength, class, boldness, and beauty. I love you so much. I love you too. We will keep the good fight of faith. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, no problem. I enjoyed it. Me too. Can you please tell the listeners how they can donate to the Bridge Breast Network? And I'm so glad that you mentioned earlier because I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about um, what advice you would give people who did not, who wanted to get mammograms but didn't have insurance, but through Bridge Breast Network, you know, they they can be able to get help. Correct? correct. I just helped somebody last week. A friend called and she said, "My friend found a lump. I'm worried about her. She lost her job and doesn't have insurance, so she was able to get in touch with the bridge." And, you know, we, we try not to turn women away. Sometimes the money is not, you know, great because we don't have enough money to market, but we have such a great story, and we want to help everybody that needs help. We don't, you know, our, at the core of our values and motto is that no woman should die of breast cancer because she doesn't have the money to pay for treatment. And so that's what we try to keep at the forefront of uh, serving these women. And the I guess the good thing about the bridge is it's definitely open to, uh, I don't know, it's a bunch of counties here in uh, North Texas, right? But it's not It's not like we have a bridge in Atlanta or – but I will say if you are in a position where you need a mammogram, there's so many services out there, start first at your local Coleman affiliate, and then they will connect you with their grant recipients who are likely the people doing tri- uh, treatment because the bridge is a grant recipient of Coleman, North Texas, of Coleman, North and West Texas, and Coleman, Dallas. So they give us funds, quite a few of them, actually, quite a few funds to to carry out this this duty. And I think, you know, Coleman gets a lot of, you know, flag from people about not doing things, but they're doing it, but they're doing it through other people that they fund. Right. So, gotcha. so they've been uh, helpful as well. So if you just reach out to every place and have a local Coleman affiliate or a one that's close, reach out to them and – I'm sure they have a grant recipient that's ready to fill whatever needs you have. Great. And talk about, um, tell us, um, give us the website for the Bridge Breast Network and any other foundations. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. It is www.bridgebreast.org. So very easy to, to uh, remember. And uh, like I said, it's here in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, but we we um, service all across North Texas. I can't remember the number of counties. There was a whole bunch of them. So every county in North uh, in uh, North Texas, we uh, serve clients from that area, even though it's based in downtown Dallas. Dallas. But uh, and then with Coleman, their website, the national organization's website is, I believe, Coleman.org. 
and then you can probably Google um, Coleman North and West Texas because I think they changed their website. <laughs> Since they changed their name, it's probably ColemanNWTexas.org, and then Coleman Dallas is ColemanDallas.org. So those are all of the organizations that I work with. I don't have a website right now for talking to cancer. I've been um, uh, taking donations from friends and making my own donations to sort of keep it going because I want the focus to be on the Bridge Breast Network. So as long as I can make my donations, I'm not, you know, here trying to make a little, a lot of money or have a fundraiser, but I do want to, again, I've, I've been blessed to get donations from friends, you know, checks have come in and I don't know where they're coming from, and I take those and buy what I mentioned, and then I share those at the various oncology centers. Okay. Yeah. Well, that is great. And I will be, um, I, I give to the Bridge Breast Network, but yes. I will be giving um, to your organization as well. All that's right. It's a 501c3. It's tax deductible. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and um, well, God, in, in your social media, do you have any, you don't have any social media um, handles that you want to give to your list? to the listeners as far uh, as your birth Well, I think you can follow me on uh, Instagram. I tend to post store, uh, pictures. I'm not as active as I need to be, but my um, uh, handle on Instagram is STCPA. Uh, and then on uh, Facebook, you know, I'm under my name, Sheila Taylor Clark. Uh, but if we don't have a bunch of friends, if we don't have at least a certain number of friends in common. You might have to send me a message to tell me why they accept you. Because, you right. know, I, I get pretty personal on my Facebook page, yeah. and I share a lot of information. So I try to, you know, sort of limit that to people that I, you know, truly know or breast cancer survivors. So. Right, exactly. And, guys, you can follow me. Um, she says she says sports Facebook. She says she says sports 23 on Instagram. And that's our show for today. But until All right, time, thanks for having me. You are so welcome, so welcome. I, I will be bringing you back. All until right. Next time, this is Sonia with She Says She Says Sports, and I'll see you on the radio. We're done. Oh, good. I went back on mute. Okay. <laughs> You're All right. right. That was a long w. interview, w. yeah. Okay, w. girl. Let me hop back into this tax return, huh? Huh? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead and get back. What'd you say? I'm going to post it Friday, and okay. um, I'll tag you in it. Love okay, you. babe. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.